Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to First, First Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, as we continue through our series, Living, Waiting, and Enduring for Jesus, through the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and I, I said chapter 2, but we're in chapter 3, so you can turn your way there, 1st Thessalonians chapter 3, and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 6, 1st Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Paul says these words, he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul here is now going to talk about his reaction. Remember last week, Paul was filled with anxiety and fear, and and, and in verse 5 he says, when I could bear it no longer, I I had to find out about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor was in vain. And then Timothy goes and brings back news, and that's kind of what this, these few verses are going to talk about. Well, I was taking a, a seminary course on the Hebrew language, uh, my, my professor would stress, and this would be for anybody taking any kind of language, but he would constantly stress, especially at the beginning of the semester, don't get behind. Don't get behind. Every class, we, we had class three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and every class, uh, there, was, there was another grammatical rule. Uh, there was, there was a, 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 a strand of new vocabulary words. There were, there were more nuances to the Hebrew language that just kept on piling on as the semester went. And so if you were to, you know, and the warning would be if you, if you got behind, I mean, that was going to lead to your eventual doom. And, it, and the Hebrew language has doomed many students. Uh, by God's grace, I hung in there. Uh, May, may, not, may not have been the A-plus uh, grade that you figured I would get, uh, but, uh, but it was close enough. And I share that with you for this reason, because I feel like a lot of times this kind of illustrates the Christian life for many people, in that God allows some trial into your life, and maybe you just weren't really ready for it. Who, who of us is ready for any trial that we face, Really? And so, and perhaps it's one of those trials that really just gets our hearts in doubt and confusion and wondering what God is doing. And, then, and so then we start trying to reconcile it with our faith. And then something else happens in the world and society. And while we're busy back here trying to figure out what's going on in my personal life and trying to reconcile with God, then there's this thing over here. And then, and then there's another thing and another thing and another thing. And life just keeps piling on. And soon we just find ourselves just drowning in a flood of, of confusion and doubt and all these things as we try to reconcile all this together. Begin to feel like the Christian feels like he or she can't keep up with everything that's happening. And the confusion and the doubt and anxiety begins to run rampant in our souls. And my point here is not to say that it's wrong to have sorrows or even questions or even doubts 
But my concern is that we as Christians, we often, we often just coast in our faith. And when those moments come upon us that God sovereignly allows, we, we, don't, we don't know what to do. And we're not really standing firm when they do come, and then it just keeps piling on, piling on, until it's almost, it's almost too late. And other than the grace of God, and we should all be thankful for the grace of God, God holds on to us, and Jesus holds us fast. But it is possible, and God has not left us without hope. It is possible, indeed, it's essential to have a faith that stands on solid ground prior to the invading storm. And that's what Paul learned about the Thessalonians. And this is the point Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 7, isn't it? In verses 24 and 25, where Jesus says, Everyone everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, he's going to be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew against it, it beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. Jesus wants us to have a solid faith, a faith that stands. We looked last week at chapter 2, verse 17 through 3, 5. We got a really close look at, at the, the, the heart of the Apostle Paul for the, the church in Thessalonica. We saw his love for the Thessalonians, but also, as we mentioned earlier, his heart-burdening anxiety and fear over the, over the probability that perhaps the Thessalonian church had abandoned Jesus. And that these young Christians were no longer following Jesus because of the persecution they were enduring. And because of these satanic attacks that they were confronted with. And in the verses that we read here, in verses 6 through 10, for this morning, we see how Paul responds when he hears that these young Christians are standing firm in the faith. There's an explosion of joy. There's just an explosion of emotion as Paul unleashes his true feelings, you think a guy like Paul, like super holy, had like no emotions at all? It's a, it's a passage like this that reminds us how, how, how deep in his heart he really felt for those he led to the Lord and for the churches and for the gospel and for the glory of Christ. Now God wants us to have a faith that stands, a faith that does, doesn't waver, it doesn't flee, it doesn't abandon Christ when trials come, a faith that is sorrowful yet rejoicing, a faith that is confused at times yet confident, a faith that knows Christ. And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at, at, the, at the back side of this passage from the Thessalonians and look at their example, and we're going to throw in some examples uh, from Paul as we go through, but I want to, from these verses here, I want to give you three traits of a faith that stands. Three traits of a faith that stands. And number one, a faith that stands relies on God's word. A faith that stands relies on God's word. There is no other explanation for the Thessalonians' faith to stand other than that they were standing and relying on the word of God. I mean, when Paul went to Thessalonica, I mean, he started from the scriptures. It says in Acts 17, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, uh, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned them with them from what? The scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Paul founded that ministry on the word of God, and after they were saved, he continued to build them up in the word of God. Now we know that Paul gets run out of town in Acts 17, and so he goes south to a town called Berea. He gets run out of town there, 
and then ends up in this town called Athens, and that's where he sends Timothy to go find out about these, uh, this, uh, the faith of the Thessalonians. And Timothy bring, brings back the report, and he shares with Paul what they're, that they're standing firm in the faith. Now, I want you to notice some things that Paul says here as he, as he responds to this. He says, Timothy has, has brought us news from you. Uh, he, has, he, has, he has come to us from you in verse 6. And he says, he has brought us the good news. This is the only time in the New Testament where the good news is, being, is not being referred to as the preaching of the gospel. So what Paul is saying here is, is hearing that they were standing firm in the faith, was like, it was like hearing the gospel. And he gave him encouragement. Notice there in verse 7, he says, For this reason, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted. We've been comforted. In all of Paul's distresses and afflictions, he was comforted. His anxiety turned to delight. He was given comfort and encouragement to, to face the, and those two words there just kind of give the idea of just the, the, the crushing pressures of life. The persecution, how he was hated and even attacked because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there's everything else in life just crushing down on him. And Paul's just getting real with life and just saying, listen, my, I am being crushed under the afflictions and the distresses and the stresses of life. And for me to hear that you are standing firm in the faith just gives me life. Don't ever think that you're standing firm in the faith can't encourage someone in their walk. And don't ever think, personally, as your pastor, don't ever think that you're walking faithfully with Christ or standing firm in the Lord doesn't encourage your spiritual leaders. It gives life, it gives comfort, it gives encouragement. As a matter of fact, he does say, he does say, he says in verse 8, he says, for now we live. It's the idea of being like resurrected, like, yeah, now, now we can live. Now, it, it was, it was, there was, before there was apprehension and fear. They felt lifeless. They felt like there was just no enthusiasm. They were just simply existing. It's the idea behind that phrase. But now they have life. They could continue on. Paul so loved the gospel, and he found so much joy in the work of God in other people's lives that hearing of others' faithfulness fueled him. And we see this throughout scripture. Philemon, he wrote, writes this. He says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul's heart was refreshed in Christ when, when, when he found that, that other people were walking in Christ. The apostle John had the same heart in 3 John. Where he says, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Paul had joy when they walked in the truth. And Paul was given life because of their standing firm, their reliance on the word of God. Now, it is important to note here as well that they, Paul had joy when they were walking in the truth, but part of walking in the truth is asking for help. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But the idea here, they were fighting temptations. And they were fighting not only temptations, but the manifestations of lust and laziness. And Paul's actually going to touch on that. He's going to talk to them about their, their sexual immorality. He's going to talk to them about their laziness. They're just kind of, they're kind of ignorant of these things. And yet Paul is saying, my heart is, is refreshed and I'm filled with joy 
Because they're not just, they're not just stagnant, they're not just floating, but they're, they're pressing on. And listen, if you're in here this morning, you're thinking, man, the only way for me to be accepted in this church is that I've got to be the perfect Christian. You know, I've got to look nice, look a certain way, I've got to act a certain way, talk a certain way, my life's got to be in a certain clear package. That's just, that's just not true. My heart is refreshed and filled with joy, not only those who are going strong, but those who are growing. And Paul's saying, listen, they had to ask for help. They said, Paul, we don't know, We've, we heard the end of the, the, the Lord has already returned. We've got a bunch of lazy people not working. We've got some sexual immorality going on over here. And they're asking for help and wanting Paul to help them out through all this. And Paul's just saying, I am just filled with joy. Because that's a sign that they're walking in the truth. That they're relying on God's word. The evidence of a firm faith is pretty clear. But of course, their endurance through trials and temptations. Uh, you know, I had fear that somehow the tempter attempted you and our labor would be in vain. And the only way to face temptation and get through temptation is for the word of God. Jesus gave us that example in Matthew chapter 4. Paul admonished the Ephesians to take the sword of the spear, which is the word of God. And this is how we fight the tempter. You know, what, is, what, is, what does the tempter do? The tempter tempts. There's no other way to engage in spiritual battle other than to use the word of God. That's what Paul instilled in them, a love for the word of God, a love for the truth, a reliance on the word of God. Their faith and love, Paul says, this was another example. Uh, They brought us good news of your faith and love. They loved Jesus. They loved God. Timothy was able to witness their faith, witness their love for God and for others. And they're longing for Paul. Another thing, he says, he says, you always remember us kindly. It's like these warm memories and you long to see us. That's another, that's another example of the way they were relying on the word of God is because they were relying on truth and there was no hostility towards Paul. Remember, the, the, the enemies of Paul were trying to say this guy was just, you know, he's just there to get money. He's off to the next crowd. He's forgetting about you. There's no hostility. Just pleasant memories of Paul. And that's a sign of good Christian character. What comes to mind when you think about others? What comes to mind when you think about other Christians? So, if you want a faith that stands, you need the word of God. Just the other night, I, uh, I, got, a, I got a text from someone. It was a few nights ago, middle of last week. Uh, got a text from someone um, who just said, they were kind of at the end of their rope. When it came to dealing with life, with everything that was being piled on, they were, just, they were just kind of done dealing with it. And I responded that night, but I, I wondered how I could best help this person, especially via text. And in God's providence, the next morning uh, was one of the passages, uh, one of the passages on my Bible reading schedule was Psalm 55. And in it, David is, he's, David is burdened and afflicted because of the many things going on, and, and he too wanted to get away. And it'll be on the screen for you, Psalm uh, 55, verses 4 through 8, where he says this. He says, David says, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And here's what, here's what David says. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would just fly away. I'd be at rest. I would wander far away, I'd go lodge in the wilderness, I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. There's David. David's like, man, if I, if I wish I was a dove, I would just, just get away. You ever said anything like that? 
man, I wish I was a bird. I wish I could just go out in the wilderness and just get away from all this. But David didn't stay there. Here he is wanting to get away, trying to figure out how to get out of life's tempest, but he knew that wasn't the solution. The solution, he says in verse 22, where he ultimately landed on, he said, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. He had to come to a total reliance on the Lord and what the Lord had promised him, what the, the words that God had given him, who God was to him, and that's all relying on the word of God. Standing firm in the Lord is not going to settle the world around you. Being a follower of Jesus is not going to settle the world around you, but it will sustain your soul. And whenever we start asking how to get out of a situation, instead of what can we get out of our situation, those are the times where we begin, our faith begins to lose its footing. Because we're no longer standing and relying upon the word of God, we're more re- relying on our own wisdom and trying to figure out how we can just get out. And so the first trait to a faith that stands is that it relies on the word of God. It relies on God's word. There's a second one. Not only does it rely on God's word, it recognizes God's grace. This is in verse 9, where Paul says, and this is coming from Paul, where he says, What thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? So he just got done saying, we're given life and encouragement because your faith is firm. You are standing fast in the Lord. And then the next thing he says, how can we thank God for all this? How could I possibly return to God the thanksgiving that I should return to him because of all the joy that I feel because you're standing in the faith? And Paul is just recognizing this as a complete gift of God's grace. And that's what thankfulness means here. It's an acknowledgement of a gift of grace. The word thanksgiving is, includes the word Greek word for grace. So what is Paul saying here? Just think about what they were going through. All the, all the afflict, affliction and distress that the Thessalonians themselves were going through. And Paul is saying, listen, what, what's giving you the spiritual tenacity to face all this? In all these unsettling circumstances, it was God. And perhaps, perhaps that's what's most needed today. Is weak Desperate Christians with spiritual tenacity to trust and rely upon God, to trust and rely and to realize and to recognize God's grace in their lives. And it's only, it's only a work of God that does this. If you're into this morning and you think, man, I wish I had that sort of spiritual tenacity where, where even like Paul, just all of life can come can, 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 crushing down on me, and yet I'm standing firm in the Lord. I just, many times I don't feel like it. i just so filled with confusion and doubt. All I can see is the problem. I'm not resting in my Savior. It takes spiritual tenacity, and it's a work of God that does it. But God doesn't just zap us with it. So this kind of ties in with our previous point, but I've been, uh, I've been preparing uh, an ABF series on the spiritual disciplines, and, and for those of you who heard about our future ABF, we're going we're gonna to open up some more, some more tracks and some more classes uh, we're going to offer, and one of them is going to be the spiritual disciplines. And I've been preparing a course on this, um, and one of the foundational principles is that while any conformity to Jesus Christ is all of grace, that doesn't mean that God's just going to zap you with it. 
while you just sit there. And, you know, might, that might sound crazy that anybody would think of it, but practically that's how a lot of us live. We're just waiting for God to somehow zap us with spiritual tenacity or zap us with sanctification or zap us with holiness. And one of the reason why I want to do a class on the spiritual disciplines is because those are the means God uses to produce spiritual tenacity. 1 Timothy 4, 7, where Paul says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You discipline yourself, and the purpose is going to be godliness. The word discipline is gymnasium, like get in the gym, work hard. And this is what Paul is saying here, like every, every aspect of this, every aspect of the Thessalonians standing fast in the Lord, it was all a work of grace. And, and yes, they were hitting the gym, they were working hard, they were doing all these things, but Paul even says that's grace. Philippians 2.13, it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Like even that's grace. Any desire you have to read the Bible is grace. Any discipline you have to go and do the spiritual disciplines is grace. So that you being conformed to the image of Christ is grace. You having desires to pursue holiness is grace. You reading your Bible and, and, and God working in you is grace. Everything is grace. Now Paul had deep sorrow, but it made way for great joy. And he was so joyful he couldn't even figure out how to thank God. And part of the spiritual tenacity that exists is when we just become so joyful for the salvation we have that even when life's problems come crushing down on us, we're we're still able to see who God is and trust him and believe his word and to recognize that all of life is grace. Everything that God has done for us is grace. One way to figure out if you have a faith that stands is to assess your thankfulness. Assess how well you are able to recount what God has done for you. Are you a thankful person? No faith will stand if there is not thankfulness to God for his grace. I was uh, listening to a podcast featuring Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you may know her. She's 72 years old, paralyzed from the neck down after a diving accident at the age of 17, been in a wheelchair ever since. And she was talking about how to get through depression. And she brought up Psalm 126.3, which says this. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. So there's past tense. The Lord has done great things for us. And then what's to say? that We are glad right now. So one of the ways to produce this spiritual tenacity is to be a thankful person, recognize it's all of God's grace. And Johnny here is saying, Psalm 126.3 is saying that very thing. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Now, you would think remembering what the Lord has done for us, especially spiritually, would be easy. But as many of you know, no matter how long you've been a Christian, it's not. Instead, like we were just talking about from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, it's, it's going to the gym. It's, it's, it's like it's pounding your mind into submission to sit there and think, What has God done for me? Remembering God's grace, recognizing God's grace takes effort. But that is the path to joy. That is the path to a faith that stands. Here's what Johnny says later in the podcast. 
talking about this whole idea. She says, sadness is an indicator about your soul. What are these dark feelings telling you about your propensity to doubt or your tendency to fear? When you look at these dark feelings, they really are, I love this word, they really are your textbook telling you who you are and describe your need for God. Trials and hardships will school you in the things of your own soul. And recognizing God's grace, according to God's word, will school you in who God is. And a faith that stands will recognize the grace of God. It'll identify his blessings. It'll recount them as a way towards joy. And so whatever we face that drives us into the arms of Jesus, that in itself is a cause for thankfulness. But we need a constant, specific recognition of God's grace in order to stand in unsettling times. There's no time to pat ourselves on the back. There's no time to try this out for yourself. To try to make your own faith stand and try to, try to, try to make yourself a spiritually tenacious person. Remember what the proverb says, be careful if you think you stand because that's when you fall. And so we must always be recognizing the grace of God. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, listen, this faith that is standing firm, it all comes from the grace of God. Lastly, the third thing. Relies on God's word, receives God's grace, or recognizes God's grace. And number three, receives God's help. Receives God's help. A faith that stands receives God's help. And you can see how all these bleed together, and it's almost hard to make distinctions between each, each one of these because they're all just so interwoven. But notice what Paul says in verse 10. He says, we pray most earnestly night and day. Why? I mean, they're good. Their faith is standing. They're good to go. God's grace is there. And then he says, no, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul prayed for them. And again, here we're looking at Paul instead of the Thessalonians, but this is, this is one way to help other Christians. Prayer is an important part of spiritual growth. Paul is praying for them, and he says, I want to meet you face to face. Now, the letter he wrote kind of cut the distance, but it didn't do everything. It wasn't a substitute for a face-to-face engagement. Which, which, is, which, is, which also even makes it all the more unique because Paul, in, in the letters of First and Second Thessalonians, and even First Thessalonians, Paul touches on every single major doctrine we could ever talk about. Talks about what it means to be saved. Talks about the coming of the Lord. Talks about how we should live our Christian lives. Talks about the Holy Spirit. Talks about God the Father. Talks about sin. Talks about the church. Talks about evangelism. He's talking about all these things. And yet Paul says, listen, I wrote a letter, and it, sure, it covers pretty much everything, but I need to be there face-to-face to supply what is lacking in your faith. And remember, he's acknowledging that God has done a great work in their lives. Like God's grace is there. You're standing firm. I, you gave me life because of your faith. And yet he's still saying, I need to be there to supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul wanted to complete. That's the idea. He wanted to bring it to completion what was lacking in their faith. And this is something where I think all of us will be in, in far better shape to receive God's help if we wake up every morning and we remind ourselves that our faith needs more and more supplies every single day. It needs more and more and more and more supplies every single day. 
I mean, he's telling this to the Thessalonians. Remember, like, one of the first messages we preached uh, from chapter 1? Like, this was the, the model church of the New Testament. Out of any church that Paul wrote to, he said the Thessalonian church, they were the model church. This is the church that everybody should look to, everybody's learning from. They're the example of what to do. And yet, here Paul is saying, yes, they're prime examples, but they, they, are, they are prime for needing more supply for their faith. There were still areas they needed to grow in. And I, it, it, listen, it doesn't matter what anybody has told you. If you think you've you maybe been painted by family or maybe you think of this yourself, like you're just, you're the prime person, like you've made it, you're the model Christian, you know, you got the model life, model everything, you're just, you're good to go. Well, this tells us is, no, you're not. Let me just put it that simply. No. Every single Christian needs more and more supplies every single day so that their faith can grow. And part of having a faith that stands is receiving that. Paul wanted to help in their shortcomings. It was even, Paul here had something they didn't have. And this is, this is one key to receiving God's help is you might actually have to admit, we have to admit that someone may know better than us. Isn't it the worst? Having to admit that somebody might actually know more than us or know better than us or might actually be in a position better to help us than we are ourselves or we can't do it on our own. And this, this can look a number of different ways as far as this receiving God's help. I'll give you three passages. It'll be on the screen. The first one might look what happened with David. Where it says, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose, and this is when David was being hunted by Saul. But it said, Jonathan went to David and strengthened his hand in God. You know, receiving God's help might look like that. It might just be somebody coming to you and just strengthening your hand in God when times are tough. Or it could look like this, a guy named Apollos in Acts chapter 18. Where it says, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. Notice this, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit. Okay, this was go-getter, type A personality. You know, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Achilla came and heard him, they took him aside. Notice this, and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Sometimes receiving help might look like that. It might be somebody pulling you off to the side and saying, hey, let me, you need a little bit better of a picture here of what, what the Bible is really saying, what God is really saying. So on one hand, it might, it might look like somebody like Jonathan coming to you and just giving you strength, strengthening your hand in the Lord. It might look like Priscilla and Achilla coming to Apollos and saying, hey, let's have a little conversation over here. We need to, we need to, we need to straighten some things out. Or it could look like this with the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, everybody's favorite, because he stood condemned. This is when Peter was showing favoritism to the Jews and trying to earn their favor and not look like he was one of the Gentile friends. So it might look like that. Receiving God's help, it might look like Jonathan coming and strengthening your hand in the Lord. It might look like somebody coming and pulling you aside and just giving you a little bit more accurate of a view of the Bible, of God, of who God is. Or it might be somebody coming up to you and opposing you to your face 
because you might stand condemned in how you're living, how you're thinking, how you're speaking. Jesus is the one who cares about your faith the most. And he wants you to believe, first and foremost, that he is the son of God who died and rose again. And he makes a way of eternal life so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But he wants you to continue from there. If you place your faith in Jesus and if you've never done that, that's where you start. You believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. But he wants that faith continually to be firm in him. A lack of faith often comes from not really valuing the acceptance we have in Christ, not embracing Jesus as Lord of all, and that nothing comes into our lives except by the hand of our loving Father. So we need a faith that stands. And your faith will stand when you rely on God's word, when you recognize God's grace, and you receive God's help. Let's close in prayer. Lord, so simple of things, yet, Lord, so hard for us. And, Lord, I I pray that as we were weaving in and out of this passage and and weaving in and out of these different traits, Lord, they so overlap. And, Lord, I know this morning it's so hard for many in here. They feel like their faith is crumbling. They don't know where to go, what to do, how to think. But, Lord, if if they're open to hearing from you, that's what you love. You love when we come broken and we cry out like the disciples, help our, increase our faith. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us all a faith that stands, especially in these trying times that's going on in the world, our own personal lives. Help us to rely on God's word. Help us to recognize God's grace in our own lives and be thankful people and to, to receive the help that you give us through friends, through the church. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.